This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the DeSantis administration is trying to calm any public fears about the spread of coronavirus. The governor says they're committed to transparency, but there are still some questions they will not answer. Despite opposition from big business, the Commerce Committee in the House approves a bill requiring employers to use E-Verify to check the immigration status of new hires. The bill only applies to government agencies and the companies that do business with them. A bill abolishing the sweetheart deal enjoyed by the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence has been signed by the governor. It happened as the House Committee on Public Integrity was grilling the chief financial officer and board members of the coalition about their finances and the millions of dollars that ended up in the pocket of the former director, Tiffany Carr. On the Sunrise interview, we'll hear from Renzo Downey, the Florida politics reporter who's been covering the committee hearings. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and check in with Florida Man. One of them says he's going to pray the coronavirus away, and the other just found the largest known prime number. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, February 28th. Governor Ron DeSantis is trying to reassure you that his administration is doing everything it can to prepare for the coronavirus. Now, first and foremost, there are still no cases of coronavirus in Florida. Uh, this is a rapidly evolving situation. We're carefully monitoring in conjunction with the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Department of Health and Human Services. Um, our response will evolve, will evolve based upon updated information and guidance from our nation's top experts in communicable diseases. Um, all levels of government you know, have been engaged in efforts for the coronavirus. The Florida Department of Health has been fully engaged from the beginning with their response uh, and epidemiology teams working on this issue since the first weeks of January. We have an incident management team in place and are working lockstep with the CDC, receiving multiple updates daily. Hundreds of dedicated DOH professionals are engaged to respond, including staff in Tallahassee's central office and each of our 67 county health departments. Our fully integrated county health department system allows us to respond quickly uh, and accurately. Now, if there's an individual with suspected coronavirus, CDC and DOH protocols are in place for healthcare providers. The first step involves the healthcare facility immediately contacting the local county health department. The individual suspected to have the virus will be evaluated at a local hospital following specified precautions. DOH collects samples and sends them to CDC. We anticipate that eventually those tests will be able to be conducted in Florida. Um, there's, uh, we're waiting to get the, the, the proper equipment for that, uh, but as of right now, it's all going to Atlanta. Uh, direct contacts of the individual will be identified in the event that the person has the coronavirus, so these, these individuals can also be isolated and monitored. The bottom line goal of public health response for this virus is containment and to stop person-to-person -person transmission. And as I said, you know, we've not had any um, cases uh, in Florida yet of people being testing positive. While no one in Florida has tested positive yet, Florida Surgeon General Scott Rivke says they are preparing for the worst. Since this virus first appeared at the end of November, the Center for Disease Control, or CDC, in Health and Human Services, or HHS, in the Florida Department of Health, have continuously monitored and provided updated information about this situation. This week, though, HHS and CDC changed their messaging. First, they continue to emphasize that the immediate health risk for COVID-19 in the United States is low. However, we need to be prepared for more cases and potential community spread 
in our nation. Governor DeSantis says they're trying to be transparent about the threat, but he's refusing to say how many people in Florida have been tested or screened for the disease. So um, I I don't think I'm allowed to kind of go into the numbers, but let's just say from the beginning of this in January, um, you know, Dr. Rifke's, we've been monitoring people coming in. Obviously, HHS has said, hey, this person may have been in China. And, and, and all those people were monitored. Anybody that tested, tested negative. Um, and, and that's just been true up until this point. So um, I actually wanted to give all the numbers, but they pointed me to the regulation or the statute that said you can't list all, all the numbers. So Why can't you uh, list the numbers? I mean, you're not identifying any particular people. That's just what, you know, I, I, Rivkeys and their team have looked at it and said that, um, that, that's, that, that that's the way to go. The Department of Health has created a web page to publish any new information on the epidemic but it won't tell you how many people in Florida have been tested for the virus. Democratic Senators Jose Javier Rodriguez and Victor Torres claim the health department's interpretation of that privacy law is wrong, and Rodriguez says if the administration doesn't back off over their weekend and release the aggregate data, they'll introduce an amendment on Monday to the Department of Health legislative package to, quote, clarify the law. Coronavirus has spread to at least 47 countries, and there are more than 82,000 confirmed cases, most of them in Asia. More than 2,800 people have died, all but 200 of them in China. The Commerce Committee in the Florida House approves a bill requiring public employers like cities, counties, school boards, and state government to screen all new hires through the Department of Homeland Security e-verify system. Private companies that contract with those public agencies would also have to use the federal verification system. Representative Cord Bird of Neptune Beach is the prime sponsor of House Bill 1265. For 43 years, we've had a wink and a nod that we have a law in the books that we know is not being enforced, which has created a black market in labor. The businesses in Florida that I've spoken with and have represented, they want a fair uh, enforcement of this law because for those who are doing it right, who are paying their taxes, who are following um, employment safety laws, who, who are paying appropriate wages, who are, who are getting workers' compensation, they cannot compete fairly with those businesses who are openly, knowingly violating the law. This has a tremendous impact on human trafficking and sex trafficking. People are lured to this state under the guise of, of being able to get a job and then are, are subjected to, to just unconscionable um, abuse. The law enforcement community will not tolerate human trafficking. I hope we will not as well. So yes, passing this law will have real consequences on, on real lives and help those people that are in, in the gray and, and black market of, of labor. And, and we'll, it'll be a deterrent in the sense that we will, th- this will no longer be a lure uh, to the state of Florida for these illegal activities to take place. Floridians shouldn't have their wages depressed by cheap illegal foreign labor. Assuring a legal workforce through this verification system promotes fair competition, protects taxpayers, places upward pressure on the wages of Floridians, and promotes the rule of law. It's the first time this year a House committee has voted on E-Verify because they've been waiting to see what the Senate will do. The Senate version of the bill has cleared committee and is ready for a floor vote. The governor has signed a bill stripping the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence of its sweetheart deal with the state. The FCADV had an exclusive contract written into state law to distribute about $50 million per year to 42 domestic violence shelters throughout the state. But when lawmakers learned former director Tiffany Carr pocketed more than $7 million over a three-year period, Senator Aaron Bean says they decided it was time to change the law and kill the contract. And so in 2003, the legislature signed a deal to have a sole source, single source contract with the Domestic Violence Coalition, the Florida Domestic Violence Coalition. 
at the time, it made great sense at the time because it was a very effective delivery means of, re of our resources into a 42 member or 42 providers around the state. Uh, it was made up of providers, the coalition. Uh, the salary at the time, in fact, of the executive director in 2002, 2003, based on IRS records, was $88,559. And uh, for many years, the delivery of those services was, was, uh, was going well. Until somewhere, somewhere that organization lost its way, lost its way. So today, the bill, the, what the bill does is remove this organization as our, as our sole source provider of, uh, of the battle against domestic violence. The bill passed Wednesday and the governor signed it Thursday. The Department of Children and Families is now responsible for distributing money to Florida's domestic violence shelters, and DCF officials are promising there will be no interruption in services. The Public Integrity and Ethics Committee in the House is still investigating the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. They've already spent 10 hours in two separate meetings interrogating the chief financial officer and members of the board, and they're not done yet. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we'll talk with Florida politics reporter Renzo Downey, who's been covering the committee. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, and our guest in the studio today is Renzo Downey, a reporter with Florida Politics. His job so far this session has been covering one of the biggest issues of the session. That's the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And you've had to sit through two long meetings now of the House Committee on Public Integrity and Ethics. What's it been like out there watching this whole thing un unspool as it is? Well, the committee certainly uh, found some concerns that they're pretty upset about. It, it's pretty obvious to see on their faces and their questions and uh, their reactions when, you know, I think something came upset is a very mild term. I mean, they're asking questions like basic accountability and they're getting people sitting there saying, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I saying think it's that was, a typo. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I thought they meant hours instead of days. So it's what it's the level of incredulity coming out of that committee. You, you got to wonder just like, are people just trying to cover their tails or are they actually getting to the bottom of what's going on there? What's your take on it? Well, I think there's certainly that question of are they coordinating their testimony in, in some way? Uh, uh, Which they all deny, of course. Yes. And, and Tom Leake uh, raised that question after the committee on Monday. Leake being the chairman of the committee. And uh, did he has he found anything that would make him think they have been coordinating? Uh, well, he pointed to... Uh, Specifically, the hours versus days, and he said there were some other things too. He didn't say exactly what that was, uh, but then today you've heard uh, the CFO and the COO say uh, this was intentional. It was supposed to be uh, days, not hours. That uh, the CFO had thought that was 
out of the ordinary, posed that question and got an email back saying, yep, that's supposed to be days. I'll be darned. So let's go back and reset the whole thing here. The problem is that Tiffany Carr, the former director who resigned last year, who had been leading the coalition basically since it it started off back in 2003, I believe. Uh, Well, it started before then, but that's when it became a sole source of DCF. Okay. And so the basic allegation is that Tiffany Carr made off with more than $7 million over a three-year period money that should otherwise have been going to victims of of domestic violence. And now they're trying to figure out, one, how she did it, and two, can they get any of that money back, and three, can they even get her in there to testify in the first place? So first of all, what do you think? Are they ever going to get Tiffany Carr in there? Well, (laughs) Tom Leake was asked that question, and he said, well, if it's not in front of this committee, it may be in front of the uh, inspector general or some other law enforcement body. because she is now staying in North Carolina. She has a couple of homes there. And uh, that makes her out of reach, at least for now. A little bit strange there, is it not? I mean, they're accused of misappropriating millions of dollars and they can't get her to come down from North Carolina. Yeah, well, uh, nice spot up there. Yeah, well, I've been to Franklin. It's a wonderful town. In fact, that place is filled with Floridians. They call them halfbacks. They move down here and then they figured out it's way too hot, so they move halfway back. Uh, but there, there's a whole Flor- Florida expat community in North Carolina, especially Franklin. But uh, yeah, give you a little bit of elevation up there, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the thing that struck me about this whole procedure is that lawmakers are asking questions about they're very technical. It's almost like an interrogation, but they're just getting absolute nothing answers. Uh, what do you see any resolution there? Do you think anything is going to shake this loose and get people to say what was really going on short of bringing Tiffany Carr down here? Well, you saw some of that happening today when it was came down to an opinion of uh, whoever was subpoenaed and speaking. And it was like, you know, they'd say, oh, it's an opinion. I'm not going to opine on it. And they were saying, well, you're under oath. You're answering our questions. And finally, they got some give on those. But in terms of the factual things. I think they're sticking by whatever they say. I don't think they're changing their tune. Now, how has Tiffany Carr's health complicated this search? Yeah, well, uh, it's come out that she had a brain tumor, has a brain tumor that she's dealing with. And that's why she was given uh, all these hundreds of hours of paid time off. Uh, not hours, sorry. Hundreds, <laughs> Here of days, I go again. Yeah. hundreds of days of paid time off was so that she would have the flexibility to deal with the treatment she needed. But they don't have any documents from HR saying, you know, why she was, well, whether she was taking any actual days off, whether there was a a condition that the coalition was aware of. And well, this whole brain tumor discussion has been rather, I mean, I've had lawmakers tell me privately, they doubt some of the, they don't know if there's a medical condition at all. And thanks to the HIPAA requirements in the federal law, they can't come right out and get her to, you know, they can't say, send us the papers proving that you have this particular condition or, or whatever it is. In fact, she has not publicly said that she had a brain tumor. She told this to friends in the coalition who are members of the board. And that's the only, that's the only thing we have to explain why she wasn't even here for all this amount of time. And so they've been doing the best they can to beat around that bush. They've been saying, hey, did you uh, drive her to... Any uh, any doctor? Did you talk to her? Well, exactly. I mean, they did talk right, to her. Yes, and, but, but but those conversations. I mean, if, if someone tells you about their medical conditions, I'm not sure you're legally obligated to pass that along. 
Okay. So what happens now? The, the committee wrapped up its second committee on Thursday. They finished up their second full meeting on this. That's a total of 10 hours now that they've spent going over it. What's the next step in the House's investigation? Well, it sounds like they're going to regroup and figure that out. Uh, they didn't have an answer for reporters today. Uh, but they are supposed to be meeting next week at some point. Okay. And there should be an update at that meeting before then uh, of what's going to come forward next. All right. So if you had, if you were a betting man, what what would you uh, suspect will be the next move? Just try everything to get her down here or just blunder on with documents? Uh, well, I'm certain they're going to keep trying to, to bring her down. Um, whether they're going to maybe call back some of the uh, witnesses from Monday uh, because testimony today didn't line up with what they said. Maybe they can get something more out of them now. Yeah. Yeah. Makes I mean, as much sense as anything. Right. Okay. Now, as far as procedurally on Thursday, the governor signed the bill that ex does away with the exclusive deal that yeah. the Florida coalition against domestic violence had it actually happened during uh, the testimony today. So they got to announce that in the meeting itself. Yes, they did. Was yeah. there any applause? Yeah. And uh, representative uh, Fernandez Barkeen, he was there. He had been in there earlier, and I wanted to try to ask him a question, but then he dipped down. I'm like, oh, man, well, I'm not going to get to talk to him. But then he came back dressed in his actual suit, and they made the announcement. So <laughs> so that was one little moment where the committee felt like, hey, maybe this might have been worth it. Something actually happened as a result of all of our work today. Right. Okay. And at this point now, who is in charge of handing out all that money to the domestic violence shelters, the 42 of them around the state? Yeah, so that's going to become a DCF responsibility, at least – uh, for a short while. Uh, Secretary Popoli says that the uh, department, they have enough money to last a fiscal year to deal with that and Which takes maybe coordinate July 1st. with. Yes. yes, July 1st. And uh, maybe coordinate with uh, FCADV, the coalition, uh, to the extent that they believe they're cooperative. Okay. But they are promising there will be no disruption in funding for the shelters, as yes. I understand it. Yes. And DCF has been quite insistent on that, too. Is Yeah, that really became the, the big topic uh, yesterday when the, the Senate was debating the bill. Uh, and multiple questions, what's the exact plan? And it sounds like there are a couple of plans going forward depending on uh, how cooperative the coalition is. Okay. So long term, do you see this taking – Months or years to resolve? Certainly months. Uh, House Speaker Oliva, he had said this could be going on past his time. So it's, I think it's here to stay. Okay. Our guest today has been Renzo Downey with Florida Politics and talking about the Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the former distributor of money to battered women's shelters throughout the state. Thanks for joining us, Renzo. Well, thanks for having me. Your calendar of events? Well, let's just say there are no meetings scheduled today in the Florida House or the Florida Senate. Remember this two weeks from now, when the legislative session is ending and everyone starts complaining about not having enough time to get the job done. Trustees at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind are meeting in St. Augustine. That's at 8.30. The Revenue Estimating Conference is holding an impact conference at 9. The Board of Osteopathic Medicine meets in Tampa at 9. The Department of Environmental Protection is holding a workshop at 10 in Tallahassee about a draft rule stemming from a 2019 law that changed criteria for funding beach projects. And staff members for Senator Marco Rubio are holding mobile office hours in Sarasota beginning at 1 in the afternoon.
and time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. A Florida man has discovered the largest known prime number. It has more than 24 million digits. Math enthusiasts have been searching for these elusive numbers for years, often with no luck. But 35-year-old Patrick LaRoche, who is an IT professional in Ocala, spent just four months and cracked it on his fourth attempt. Finally, a Florida man who claims he cleansed the Sunshine State of the Zika virus says he plans to do the same with coronavirus. Rodney Howard Brown of Tampa is a conservative preacher, a peddler of conspiracy theories, and an evangelical who prayed over Donald Trump in the Oval Office. In a video that was spotted by Right Wing Watch, Howard Brown says he cursed Zika in the name of Jesus and has the power to do the same to the coronavirus, but only for Florida and nowhere else. Now, this is not the first time he claims to have saved mankind. At a revival back in 2018, Howard Brown said he saved America by issuing a, quote, restraining order on the Antichrist. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.